1 Kings chapter 18, a familiar passage of Scripture, but well worth revisiting tonight. 1 Kings 18 and verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Now skip ahead to verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Oh yeah, the world's been blaming God's people for bad stuff for a long, long time, haven't they? And Ahab did that here as well. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together, unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Remember that phrase. We'll be back to it. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. (laughs) They're Baptists. He's listening for an amen or something. Nothing. Yeah. Then said Elijah unto the people, verse 22 now, I even only remain a prophet of the Lord. Now we know that Elijah's mistaken when he says that. God clears that up later. He's mistaken. He says something that's false. Yet God still uses him. Aren't you glad that God will still use us even when we are completely all that we should be? I'm thankful of that. Elijah said unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call you on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken if we were to transpose that into modern modern nomenclature they'd say deal and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for ye are many and call on the name of your gods but put no fire under and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying oh Baal hear us but there was no voice nor any that answered and they leaped upon the altar which was made Can we pause here for just a second? Sometimes the world doesn't make sense. You leap on the altar. What are you trying to get Baal to do? Send fire down to consume the altar? So you leap on the altar? Not the smartest bunch of people we're dealing with here, right? They leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 27 is going to to tickle a few of our students that are in my class because we covered this um, in, in one of our lessons, we talked about this. And so if you see, if you notice them um, having some kind of reaction to this, just ask them, they'll explain it to you. Verse 27, it came to pass at noon 
that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. I'll give you this much. There are other translations, one in particular, that grossly mistranslates this verse to the point that it's actually a little bit funny. But what they say Elijah said, he did not say. Verse 28, they cried aloud, cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. Elijah said to all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the Lord, word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four, four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He said, do it the second time. They did it the second time. He said, do it the third time. They did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Now, some have tried to attack this passage and say that there's some kind of inconsistency here because they're in the midst of a drought. There's no water to be found. So where'd they get the water? Mount Carmel is not far from the Mediterranean Sea. There was still water in the Mediterranean. It wasn't potable, wasn't drinkable, but still would serve this purpose. So there's no contradiction here. In the Bible, there aren't any contradictions. Okay. Verse 36, it came to pass the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Could I pause here and remind you that while it's wonderful to spend lengthy amounts of time in prayer, you don't have to be lengthy for its own sake. Elijah's prayer is 63 words long, and it got it done. Because what happened? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. If you were to look at your lives, respectively, you would know this to be true. Our lives consist of a veritable parade of choices. We are constantly making choices. Now, some of those choices are, are pretty innocuous. They're, they're not what we would call, you know, earth-shattering. And what we want to talk about tonight are not those little choices that don't really have any real meaning. For instance, that you chose a blue shirt over a red shirt, it's just not a big deal. Okay? I know preachers that believe in wearing just white shirts. Can I just tell you something? It's, it, God does not care. 
what color your shirt is on Sunday morning. He just doesn't. I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Okay, that's, that's, and why do I mention that? Because some Christians get so intent on honoring the Lord that they allow themselves to go further than what the Bible and what God expects of us, and it drives them crazy. God doesn't intend us to be that way. Is God in the detail? Sure he is. Is there any aspect of your life God doesn't care about? No, there's no aspect of your life God doesn't care about. But, but be careful. Don't let the devil make you so religious, so I have to cross every T and dot every I, and, and, and you forget about grace. You forget about God loves you. I mean, I, I've seen people agonize, and I've been this guy before. I've been a guy... Let me tell you how, how bad this can get, okay? I've been the guy that walked past a piece of trash in the parking lot and didn't pick it up and got so worked up over it in the night that I got in the car and came back over here, found the piece of trash, and picked it up. You say, Andy, you sound a little OCD. No, I sound a lot OCD. I'm all for being sensitive to the will of God, but, but y'all, what we're talking about tonight is not meant to cover those choices that are just pretty innocuous. I hope you understand that, okay? So don't go home thinking everything, had, oh man, I had green beans tonight, should I have had peas instead? Stop. That's not what we're talking about, okay? We're talking about choices of spiritual import. We're talking about choices that either are spiritual in and of themselves or can lead us to a spiritual truth. And I think that that'll be, that'll be pretty clear once we get into the message. Is everybody up to speed with me as far as that goes? Okay. All right. So we have all kinds of choices. Most of them are pretty insignificant. But there are many that carry a lot of significance. And what we've just read about Elijah presents Israel with a mighty big choice. Here's your choice, Israel. Jehovah or Baal. Doesn't get any bigger than that. That's their choice. And so we look at this familiar contest on Mount Carmel, and we want to get some instruction tonight on this subject, making spiritual choices. Making spiritual choices. And this is something that can speak to all of us. This is my last week with the teens until they find their way back in here at Christmas time or whatever. This is a message for them. And this is a message for the grandparents and their parents and their fellow church members. We all need to understand what the Bible teaches about making spiritual choices. So, Lord, would you help us tonight? Would you help me to rightly divide your word of truth to teach this and at times, I guess, preach this in the way that most pleases you. And may Jesus be lifted up, and may we have that which we need to be equipped with to make good, sound, spiritual choices. So help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a little bit in trouble tonight. I have reached that point, despite my best efforts, that I am I'm in need of bifocals. And my notes are just far... I'm going to push this away. It's better getting old what do you do you know let's talk about some spiritual choices first of all spiritual choices are unavoidable well i'm just going to make it through this life without having to make any big deal choices no you're not they are un 
unavoidable. Uh, Look with me to uh, verse number 21. And Elijah came unto how many of the people? All the people. All the people. Everybody assembled there at Mount Carmel would have a choice before them. Everybody. It's unavoidable. Well, then I choose not to choose. Then you've made your choice. This is especially true with salvation. When you're you're witnessing to somebody and they tell you something along these lines, well, I just haven't decided yet. Then you have. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3? In fact, let's go there. Hold your place here. Let's look at it. John chapter 3, verse number 18. Oh, we love John 3, 16, but keep reading. It gets, it, it keeps, it's still good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And listen to this. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Sirs, what must I do to be lost? The answer is nothing. Do nothing. That's our default setting. So if you choose against the Lord, then you, if you refuse to choose for the Lord, then you might as well have chose against him because it's the same outcome. There's no, there's no avoiding it. Spiritual choices are unavoidable. Number two, spiritual choices are a dichotomy. Now, what do I mean by that? If somebody presents you with a, a, you know, a situation and gives you only two possibilities when there's more than that, that's called a false dichotomy. And so a dichotomy would mean you only have two possibilities. And when we make spiritual choices, fundamentally, there's only two possibilities. Okay? Look at what he says. Verse 21. He came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between how many opinions? Two. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now, it's important to understand that there can be options within a choice. But fundamentally, when it comes to serving God, being saved or serving God, it's a dichotomy. There's only two possibilities. Now, let me see if I can illustrate that to you. Um, Go to Joshua 24. This is a familiar passage, too. Joshua 24. It seems that Joshua is giving more than two choices, but he's not. He's giving options within two choices. Joshua 24, uh, verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The choice is a dichotomy. He gives them options within one of the choice. Yeah, you can choose to serve the God of the Amorites. You can choose the goddess of your fathers that they served across the flood. But we're serving Jehovah. What's basically being said is you got, here's your choice, Jehovah or everything else. And that's what it comes down to. When we make spiritual choices, we are either choosing to please God or not to please God. Now, there's all kinds of options within not pleasing God, but there's only one choice. Everybody with me? Right now, as we make choices, we are not choosing between God and this and this and this. No. Nor are we choosing this measure of God or this measure of God or this measure of God. Every spiritual choice we make comes down to, do I want to please God or not? That's it. Being saved. I'm either choosing to please God by believing on Christ as he's commanded me to do, or I choose to reject him. It does not matter, frankly, if you reject Christ, it does not matter where you go from there. If you reject Christ for Buddhism, Mormonism, uh, dead religion, humanism, atheism, doesn't matter. It all has the same outcome. Our choices are unavoidable. Our spiritual choices are a dichotomy. But know this, our spiritual choices, oh, by the way, before we move any further, how long halt you between two opinions? That, that phrase, two opinions, is interesting. It literally, what he's literally saying here is, how long are you going to stagger under a divided or even ambivalent mindset? It is very much akin to what we see James saying in James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, we reminded the little, the little ditty that we learned as kids, just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. That's it. It's a dichotomy. All right, let's keep going. Spiritual choices are unavoidable. Spiritual choices present a dichotomy. Then number three, spiritual choices are informed. Though not obligated, would you agree with me that in verses 22 through 39, God gave the Israelites plenty of information to use to make the right choice? Would you agree with that? Would you call fire coming down from heaven, burning up the sacrifice, the water, the dust, and the stone? That's a lot of information right there to tell me which way I should go. Isn't it interesting how easily people ignore clear information? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? We talked about it just recently. They've come to arrest Jesus. Jesus says, whom seek ye? They said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. 
in your King James Bible that he is italicized. So really what he's saying is, I am. What happens when he says, I am? Everybody falls back. To me, that'd be information piece number one, that I may be on the wrong team. But then Peter, apparently not the greatest swordsman in the world, cuts off Malchus's ear and Jesus restores it. There's information piece number two, that maybe I'm on the wrong team. They ignored it. There's no evidence of anybody in the Bible, in the Garden of Gethsemane, including Malchus, that changed their mind. We tend to ignore information, don't we? The world has ignored a whole lot of information. And you'll see that there are people even within this narrative, Ahab being one of them, to see what they saw and still choose to go the way they did. But God is not obligated to, but God has given us all kinds of information, all kinds of evidence to inform our choices for him. You remember what it says in Romans 1? Lay the Bible aside for a minute. Even if we didn't have the Bible, and we do, and we thank God for that, but even if we didn't, y'all pray for me. I forgot where Romans was. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which, may, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Did you know that there's no such thing as a true atheist? Every human being is created with an understanding that they have a creator. And if you want want to claim the title of atheist, you have to suppress that basic knowledge that God has put into the spiritual DNA of everybody ever made. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Then you add on top of that, which we call general revelation, you add on top of that specific revelation, the word of God, and you add on top of that things that you have seen happen in people's lives. Why in the world would we ever make a choice that goes against what God wants? Because God has given us all kinds of information to help us make the right decision. When somebody comes and shows interest in Granite Christian Academy, they schedule a tour with Brother Davies. Brother Davies loads them down with information. Why? Because they want to make an informed choice. Well, God, though he's not obliged to, God has given us all kinds of information, and yet we still find ourselves making wrong choices. Young people, as you go through this school year, you're going to be given all kinds of information to help you make right choices. Some of that information will be positive. You'll see the positive aspects of making a choice that pleases God. But you'll also see some of the negative things that happen when you don't choose God. Use that information. This idea of blind faith, that's a rare thing in the Bible. I don't even know if it technically even exists. There's always something to inform our faith. And God has given us plenty of pertinent info to help us make the right choices. 
So we're trying to make spiritual choices. Spiritual choices are unavoidable. Everybody on Mount Carmel that day had a choice to make. Number two, choices are a dichotomy. They only had two possibilities. You either choose Jehovah or everything else. Number three, spiritual choices are informed. God doesn't ask us to do anything blindly. He gives us all the information we're going to need to make the right choice. So if we make the wrong choice, whose fault is it? It's ours. It's ours. Well, well, Andy, I'm trying to make a spiritual choice, but I don't feel like I have the information that I need to make it. What do I do? Then wait and let God give you what you need. But when he does, it's incumbent upon you and upon me to act on it. Otherwise, we can stay in a holding pattern forever, and God's already given us all the information we're supposed to have. Number four, spiritual choices have outcomes. Look at verse number 40. At some point in the past, 450 actually more than that if you include the prophets of the grove, but 450 guys decided to make a spiritual choice that led them to be prophets of Baal instead of worshiping Jehovah. Did that choice have an outcome? Yeah, a pretty negative one. Verse 40, And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, am I telling you that if you don't make all the right spiritual choices that somebody's going to show up and kill you? No. But you show a disregard for the things of God long enough, and there's going to be bad outcomes. Anybody that's ever been in a ministerial role, from Sunday school to pastoring to anything on the, on the plane of ministry, you've invested in people. And when you see people make bad spiritual choices that leads to negative outcomes, it's heartbreaking every time. Even if we didn't have a school, we'd still love our kids. But because we have a school, we're with them every day of the week almost, except Saturday. And so we've got a lot of time to invest in them. We've got a lot of time to to feel for them. And the only thing that I know of that hurts worse to see a young person make a bad choice is to see a young person that wants to make a good choice but mom and dad get in the way with a bad choice. That flies all over me. We've got kids that used to ride the bus to church. And the only reason they're not here is because mom and dad didn't like what was happening in their kids' lives. They didn't, like, they didn't know what to call it, but they didn't like the conviction. And unfortunately, mom and dad's bad choice is going to have a negative outcome on those kids. 
the choices that we make have outcomes. But here's, here's where a lot of people get tripped up. I've, I've got to find this while I'm talking to you because I just thought of it. And I am, if I'm weak at anything in Bible, it's remembering the address. And this is one of those that I've committed to memory good enough to make it a weird version of it. And no, I'm not going to ask you to help me because then you'll make me look bad. <laughs> ha! Ecclesiastes 8. Ecclesiastes 8.11. Let's look at this. This is one of the reasons that people persist in bad choices. Because God, being a patient and long-suffering God, doesn't automatically drop the hammer on us first time we make a bad choice. But look at what Solomon has to say here. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. What's he saying? There's a whole lot of people out there, and sadly this has found its way into Christians' lives too, that because they don't see or perceive immediate consequences to their bad choices, oh, then this must not be too bad. I'm just going to stick in. I'm, I'm staying with this. I'm able to live this way, and things are still pretty good. We see it all the time. People treat, people treat the exception as the rule. Well, well, my neighbor, they lived together, and they lived in sin for years, and then at the end they got saved, and now their life's great. Yeah, that's an exception. It's not the rule. And if they truly did get saved, you know what they're going to tell you? They got scar after scar after scar after scar that they wish they could go back and get rid of. And so because our outcomes are delayed, we have this idea that God's indifferent to it. No, he is not. But I'm going to tell you from personal experience, when it does finally catch up to you, it's bad. It hits hard. Spiritual choices Always have outcomes. Can I give you a real simple formula for this? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Super simple formula. Yes, it's Old Testament, but it still works. God hasn't changed his mind about this morally. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 19. Let's go back to verse 15. See, I've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. Now watch verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life 
and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, what? Choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. What is it? It's a choice. Every sin I've ever committed has been a choice. Sometimes we have a hard time processing the idea that we are sinners by nature and sinners by birth. Well, if you have that difficult time with that, then just accept this truth and it'll clear it up for you. I'm also a sinner by choice. And even if I can't process being a sinner by nature or a sinner by birth, I have to admit that I have chosen to sin over and over and over and over. It's always been a choice. No, we're not talking about red shirt versus blue shirt. We're not, we're not talking about peas versus green beans. But every one of us, every day, is faced with choices that are either going to draw us closer to the Lord or push us farther away. And when we're faced with these choices, we need to remember that choices are unavoidable. We're all going to face them. So be ready. Number two, choices are a dichotomy. Fundamentally, you're either choosing God or everything else. Number three, choices are informed. He gives us plenty of evidence and information to help us make the right choice. We have no excuse. Number four, our choices have outcomes. We tend to focus on the negative, but can I just tell you quickly about a positive? I had a choice. God called me to preach. I surrendered to that choice. I surrendered that choice to him and said, Lord, I'll I'll preach. I immediately enrolled in a local Bible college there not far from where I lived. And I tried my very best to attend that Bible college and do the work and to do it well and maintain a full-time job, which was the only way I was going to pay for it. I just couldn't. Physically, I couldn't. I'd fall asleep in class. I was flunking grades. I mean, it, it was ugly. And I just realized I am just throwing money away. So I had another choice. Maybe I was wrong about the calling. No, I got to stick with it. So I said, okay, maybe the Lord, maybe the Lord wants me to be a, you know, a lay preacher that just helps a pastor, and I'm willing to do that. So be it. And I chose to, if God would help me to just stay, stay on that path. I ended up getting a job that was really a good job. I, I was doing well. The benefits back then, man, the benefits were so cheap. It's not that way anymore. The benefits were so cheap. I had three-quarters of a million dollars in life insurance on me, and I paid pennies out of my paycheck to have it. Three-quarters of a million dollars. My mother was the beneficiary. I caught her cutting my brake lines one time. I was moving up, and even better, I was really plugged in at church, and this job allowed me to be involved in a lot of things. And I mean, man, things are going great. And then our supervisor, our plant supervisor, came in, and he told us, got a, got a meeting with everybody. It was between the two shifts. We only had two shifts. and well, No, we had three shifts. Um, but anyway, it was in the middle of 
the middle one, and we all had to be there. And he said, uh, we're the most profitable plant in the entire company, and they're closing us down. For one reason, because we weren't located on what's called a main transportation hub. So we trained the guys that got our jobs and helped them pack up our stuff and take it with them. What am I going to do? They offered me a severance. And it paid me up to the day of the first day of classes at Pensacola Christian College. I made a choice. I went. I was called an older student. That's what the administration called us. 23 and older was called an older student. I had several professors younger than me. I struggled with that, especially when somebody tried to write me up for something. I'm like, who are you? You know, struggled with that. I wanted to quit. But by God's grace, I made a choice to stay. I had a guy named Jason McGrath, a little red-headed leprechaun-looking thing, who's now my brother-in-law. He wanted me to date this girl so bad. The girl that he was dating, it's her sister. She's awesome. He even went so far as to tell me this. If I wasn't dating this one, I'd date her sister. I, I still don't quite process that well. I met her. She met me. We weren't interested. Took my first church. A whole lot of choices there. Broke up with a girl, flipping through Facebook. I do not recommend this as a normal method. Come across the, pro- the profile of the girl that they tried to fix me up with. I made a choice. I messaged her. Long story short, we started dating, had a long-distance relationship, started flying back and forth from Richmond to, to Atlanta. For long, I made a choice to ask her to marry me. She made a choice. Now, I don't know what she'd say about the bad, you know, whether her choice was good, but I thought it was a good choice. We had opportunities. We, we candidated five churches in this whole process. We believe God would have us to choose one. I'm saying if you'll let God have his way in your life and you'll make good choices, it won't always be evident to you in that moment, but God with good choices is building things. He's putting things together like a puzzle that you can't see. And when you make a, bad, a good choice here, and you make a good choice here, and you make a good choice here, you look back to those good choices that pleases God, and all of a sudden you see that he built something pretty magnificent in your life. But you've got to, you've got, no matter where you are in life, right now at this moment, you've got to commit, if God will help me, to make good choices. And he will help you. Oh, what if I make a bad one? Confess it. Go back to where you departed and start making good ones again. God's not limited. He can still build on our bad choices. But it's so important that we make the right choices.